Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican. I'm your host, Colleen Dully. America's national correspondent, Michael O'Loughlin, has just published a book called Hidden Mercy, which recounts the interactions between the Catholic Church and the gay community and the stories of many gay Catholics at the height of the AIDS epidemic. It's a story that's both painful and hopeful, and Mike sent a copy of it to Pope Francis. The Pope responded in a letter that Mike is making public today, thanking him for the book. You can find the full letter at americamagazine.org and linked in the show notes, but I'll read a little bit of it right now. The Pope writes, Thank you for shining a light on the lives and bearing witness to the many priests, religious sisters, and lay people who opted to accompany, support, and help their brothers and sisters who were sick from HIV and AIDS at great risk to their profession and reputation. Instead of indifference, alienation, and even condemnation, these people let themselves be moved by the mercy of the Father and allowed that to become their own life's work, a discreet mercy, silent and hidden, but still capable of sustaining and restoring the life and history of each one of us. Mike joins me today on Inside the Vatican to talk about those hidden mercies and the importance of recovering history. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Mike. Thanks for having me, Colleen. Congratulations on the book. I know that years of research have gone into this and before this into your podcast, Plague, which told some of these same stories. What was it like to get this letter from the Pope affirming this work that you've done for so many years? Uh, it was a complete surprise. <laughs> I kind of went out on a limb and I thought the reaction to these stories in the book, uh, the stories that were featured in Plague, um, another America podcast, it's been so moving and powerful and really uh, reached people who were inspired by uh, these acts of compassion and mercy in the 1980s and 90s. And I thought, Pope Francis should know about this. And mm -hmm. when I wrote him the letter, I, I explained I wanted him to know these stories because there were so-called Pope Francis Catholics doing works of mercy, uh, living out in the field hospital, as he puts it, decades before there was a Pope Francis. And I thought he would appreciate learning about some of these stories. And he really strongly affirmed your book. He he said that he appreciated these stories being told. I wonder if anything surprised you about the letter from the Pope. I was surprised that he took time to learn about these stories and these people who were doing work with HIV and AIDS um, at a time when it was not easy to do that kind of work because of the stigma associated with HIV. And the fact that he acknowledged that in the letter I found interesting because the church has a really complicated history when it comes to HIV and AIDS. There were people who I profile in the book who were doing really incredible work, but there were also Catholic leaders who were uh, pretty hostile to uh, the gay community at a time when it was really under siege. So for the Pope to acknowledge that difficult legacy, I was surprised by that candidness. But I do think it is part of the Francis papacy to really grapple with our history and not be afraid of it. Uh, there's a sense of freedom, I think, that Pope Francis espouses through his writing. And I felt that in this letter as well. You talk in the book about how your researching and writing process for this was kind of part of a, a very long process of you grappling with your identity as a gay Catholic. And I imagine that having the Pope now come in and affirm that work you've been doing 
is like an extraordinary thing for you and maybe a little bit complicated. I, I wonder if you could talk about what what that means to you specifically. When I began the project five years ago with a phone call to Carol Boltashevitz, who was a nun in the 80s and 90s, became an advocate for gay men with AIDS. I didn't know where this project was going. And we talked on the phone for two hours back in August of 2016. And I really was asking her questions that I was curious about as a gay Catholic, unsure of my place in the church. I knew that she was something of an ally and that she could offer me insight about why she did this work, what she learned from the LGBT community through her ministry, and connect with someone who understood the struggles that LGBT Catholics faced in the 80s and 90s and today still. So really, it was a it was I, I don't think Carol thought of it like this, but it's almost a pastoral conversation where she was listening to some of my story and then offering her own wisdom and guidance. And I told her at that time, it was funny, I went back to the transcript and I said, I don't know where this is going to end up. I can't promise you that it will be an article. I'm hoping it's a book, but there's there's no publisher yet. And we stayed in touch for the next few years. Uh, and then when I had the opportunity to call her um, over the summer after I received this letter from the Pope and read it to her and say, this is the Pope sort of giving you a decades late blessing on your work. I know you had some difficulty with church leaders as you were undertaking this work, but look at this. That was one of the most meaningful experiences of this entire project, uh, to be able to offer that gift to Carol, who is a big fan of Pope Francis anyway. So it was really meaningful to her and a really grace-filled moment uh, of this project. Yeah, I, I imagine that was a really moving experience. I wonder if you think, you know, you just talked about Sister Carol, who was ministering to LGBT Catholics, as as Pope Francis said, like at great personal expense and at, at great personal risk. Um, I wonder if you think that this letter from the Pope has significance for other gay Catholics. I hope so. I think on the one hand, it is a significant moment. Um, in my letter to the Pope, I talked about my own experience as a gay Catholic. I relayed the message that I hear over and over again from other LGBT Catholics who I interview, that they're grateful for the Pope's more welcoming tone, uh, that they're encouraged by his ministry. I told him that uh, they often want him to know that they appreciate it and that they have uh, that he has allies here, especially in the United States. So I hope that uh, the Pope's reply to this, recognizing this history, recognizing my work, is a consolation to uh, other gay Catholics. At the same time, I don't want to overstate the, the the impact of it. The church, especially in the 1980s, could be quite hostile to the gay community. That has continued through uh, modern times. I mean, there's LGBT Catholics who are still um, upset when the Vatican releases statements kind of reiterating church teaching, or maybe there's actions that don't seem particularly welcoming, such as uh, the firings of LGBT employees at Catholic institutions. So a single letter is not going to heal these divisions, um, and I'm under no illusions that it will, but I hope there is some consolation because something I am encouraged by is the Pope recognizing the value of this history. And I write um, quite a bit in Hidden Mercy in the book that by not knowing this history, it cuts off the LGBT Catholic community from uh, knowing that uh, we aren't alone in the church, that there were these people who came before us who fought for greater inclusion for the LGBT community. So the fact that the Pope is recognizing this history as valuable, that maybe will encourage LGBT Catholics, their allies, uh, to explore this time in our history more and look at the stories of people like Sister Carol, uh, who did ministry, did effective ministry to the LGBT community, while also acknowledging the difficult context uh, in the church at that time toward this community. 
Yeah, Mike, I know when I went to pick up the book at my local bookstore, uh, the the guy who was selling the book, he he had seen it come in and unwrapped it and gave it to me. And he was like, I I really like realized, you know, that I don't know a ton about this history, despite him being a gay man himself. And he he said uh, he, he really wanted to read it because he wanted to learn about this. And I know that's something that you've heard from people over time, too, is just they're so glad that you captured these stories. And the stories that you captured aren't just the institutional clashes, the kind of thing that we cover on Inside the Vatican every week. Uh, they're really stories from on-the-ground people. Mike, you actually uh, have just published a bonus episode of your podcast, Plague, on a Catholic Worker House. Um, can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, there's actually a chapter in Hidden Mercy about uh, Catholic Worker Houses that were started for uh, people with AIDS. And uh, as part of the plague series, I was able to visit one of these houses in Syracuse, New York, and meet with a gay Catholic couple named Michael DeSalvo and Nick Orth, who since 1992 have opened their home to people with AIDS. We got to visit and see this powerful wall they keep in their home that contains plaques of the uh, names of all the guests who have come through the house in the last three decades. They told me that uh, dozens of uh, mostly men and then later on women uh, moved in and spent their final days and weeks living at the at, at their house where Michael and Nick provided hospitality. They provided meals. They acted like social workers. They they did what they could to offer dignity to people who had really been cast aside by society. And an exciting part of the episode is we look at some of the history of the Catholic worker movement and how this difficulty around talking about homosexuality led to some internal strife. But at the same time, there's something about the founder of the movement, Dorothy Day, that did inspire people like Michael and Nick to uh, stay in the Catholic worker and offer hospitality to people who really needed help. So if you want to listen to that episode, just search in your podcast app for Plague Untold Stories of AIDS in the Catholic Church. It's published by America Media, much like Inside the Vatican is. But I want to return now to this conversation about the importance of learning the history of this relationship between the church and the gay community during the AIDS crisis. Can you outline some of the general contours of it for people who might not be familiar? Yeah, that was one of the most surprising uh, revelations to me as I wrote the book was learning this history. I had, I had had all these different data points and events that existed in my mind. Uh, for example, the 1986 letter the Vatican released that condemned homosexuality. This is the letter where the intrinsic disordered language comes from that many LGBT Catholics are familiar with. I had known about the Vatican's letter resulting in groups like Dignity uh, being kicked out of Catholic parishes. So groups that promoted gay rights in the church were no longer allowed to meet in Catholic parishes. Uh, I had known about Catholic bishops around the country fighting gay rights bills. Uh, there were gay rights bills being put forward in city and state legislatures for, for decades. It seemed like by the 80s, maybe they were gaining some traction, but you had powerful Catholic bishops fighting against them. The surprise, though, came in kind of connecting those dots and realizing that this was all taking place during the height of HIV and AIDS. I hadn't ever made that connection about how the church was really cracking down on the gay rights movement as the gay community fell under siege from, from this virus. And it was through interviews with uh, other gay Catholics who said it just felt incredibly cruel because it was a time when uh, young gay men were dying in, in big cities and then throughout the United States. And 
gay Catholics felt like they didn't have the spiritual support in their church that would be open to anyone else during this very difficult time. So it was sort of this incredibly difficult moment uh, for them to be part of the gay community and understand the anger being directed at the church at that time by groups like ACT UP, but also be Catholic and want to see the church be more welcoming, want to see the church step up. Uh, so that that background and context is very important. And I, I include some of that in the book there. But I also want to show that there were people trying to do the right thing. So for example, John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, a great defender of human rights, he didn't actually talk about HIV and AIDS in any significant way until 1987. So the epidemic has been going on for five years at that point until he finally talks about it. And I was curious why, like what made him to talk about that then? And I learned that there was some behind the scenes work from the Archbishop of San Francisco at the time, a man named John Quinn, who went to the Vatican and uh, met with the Pope and really urged him to address this issue before he uh, arrived in San Francisco, because he knew that members of his community were hurting so much and would appreciate some kind words from the Pope around that. So at every level of the church, uh, from parishes to uh, sisters working in hospitals, all the way up to archbishops meeting with the Pope, there were these uh, push and pull. How does the church respond to this while maintaining its traditional teachings on sexuality? So that's kind of the background against what I think these stories of ministry and powerful examples of witness to the gospel have to be understood. Now, your book deals a lot with this theme of history and identity, the idea that to to really belong to a group, it's important to know the history. Uh, and this is something that Pope Francis has talked a lot about. Um, he writes in Fratelli Tutti and a little bit more in depth in Let Us Dream about how the history of a people is how that people finds its identity. And he says, he talks about this specifically in the context of Confederate statues in the United States. He says, uh, that we shouldn't take those statues down because they remind us of a darker part of our history. But I think for him, it's important to see both the light and the dark parts of the history together to really get that sense of identity. And that seems very similar to the work that you've been doing in this book to kind of to tell the story of that history of both the light and dark parts of the Catholic Church and the gay community and, and their interactions. Growing up as a gay Catholic, I often felt like I was like isolated and cut off. Like I didn't know who to talk to about this, um, these competing identities and whether there was a place for me in the church. And it all felt very new. Like I was the, the first person going through this experience and grappling with it. And as I began reporting, uh, it was around the time when uh, debates over same-sex marriage uh, were really uh, ramping up in the United States. And I was covering what Catholic groups had to say, what bishops had to say. And it all felt very new, uh, which was exciting on the one hand that these conversations were taking place, but also scary because I didn't know uh, if I had a place in the church, if people could be gay and Catholic and work in the church. I had been working um, in, in this uh, world for a while. And as I started researching this period in history, a, a priest friend had suggested that I look at the 1980s and 90s when he knew I was trying to figure out if I had a place in the church. I realized that there were entire generations of people before me who had gone through similar struggles, who had grappled with these questions. It's just I didn't know any of this history. And I would later learn that this is a very uh, common phenomenon in the LGBT community, that our history isn't passed down in families. It's not taught in schools. That's changing a little bit. But uh, for me, anyway, it wasn't taught in schools. It's certainly not preached about um, in parishes or taught in religious ed or anything like that. So 
it all felt new. And I, I, I was angry for a little bit. Like I didn't know any of this stuff no, because no one had taught it to me, but I decided that I would seek it out myself. So that's how I started contacting uh, people like Carol, uh, people like Father Bill McNichols, who did HIV and AIDS ministry in the 80s and 90s. And I asked them questions. You know, what was it like ministering with this community? Uh, what did you learn? I interviewed uh, a man named David Pace, who is a long-term uh, survivor with HIV, who's Catholic. We uh, interview him in the first episode of Plague. And I said, what was it like being a gay Catholic in the 80s? You had these very vibrant groups of uh, gay and lesbian Catholics who were clashing with church authorities. How did you make that work? What was your experience like as a gay Catholic man in the 80s? And through these conversations, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens over the years, I learned all sorts of different ways to approach this question, uh, what does it mean to be an LGBT Catholic in the church today? And some of that wisdom I'm uh, able to share in the book and the podcast. Uh, but this history of grappling the good and the bad, I think, is important. If there's one thing I've learned is we can't be afraid to read about this because uh, there will be things that we are ashamed of as Catholics going through our history during this time. But as I spend most of the book on, there are things we should be proud of. There were people doing really powerful work who were inspired by their faith to step up and serve the community even when uh, they knew they were being judged by society. So I hope that readers who identify as LGBT, who read Hidden Mercy, will feel consoled through learning these stories they might not have known, and also feel empowered to say, we need to understand this history. We need the church as, as a whole to look at what we did during this time and take lessons away for challenges that we will face today. Mike, uh, one last question. Where can people find your book? People can order Hidden Mercy wherever you order books. You can go to hiddenmercy.com and I have some links there. You can check out bookstores. Uh, I encourage people to order from local bookstores and I can't wait to hear what people have to say about the book. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. If you want to support our work on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine, which you can do at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.